Welcome to the Burn Hickory Podcast, where you can listen to our sermons each week. Our mission is to reach everyone around us with the hope of Christ. And our goal is that you'll find a place where you can learn, grow, live, and thrive in a faith family. Now let's get ready to dig into scripture and see what God has for us today. Well, hey, good morning, church. It has been an incredible Disciple Now weekend with our students. They have been in countless hours of small group, worship, so much fun at REC yesterday, so many good meals. A lot of you guys have been participating and I just want to tell you thank you. Our student team has done an amazing job providing this opportunity. And this morning, we wanna welcome you into the weekend. I wanna introduce you just for a moment to our speaker this morning. Kelly Canals and I go back over 18 years from being student pastors together. He served in Florida at an amazing church and has recently just moved to First Cleveland in Tennessee to be on their teaching team and lead their multi-campus ministries. Kelly has an amazing wife, Tara, more kids than we any of us can count. He is an amazing Bible teacher and I cannot wait for you as well as myself to sit under the teaching of Kelly this morning. Would you do me a favor and welcome one of my best friends in ministry, Mr. Kelly Knaus. Hey, thank you guys. Um, such an honor to be here, and uh, man, grateful to know your pastor for as long as we have. Makes us sound old, doesn't it? Our 18 years, I, he is old. But uh, uh, I do have a lot of kids. I have seven children. That's both an introductory statement and a prayer request at the same time. And um, uh, man, most of them we took with us when we moved. A few of them are off at of college. But, uh, uh, but man, I just want to tell you how, what an honor it is to be with you guys today and to uh, just have the privilege of getting to serve you with your students in your church. You've got an unbelievable pastor. As Matt mentioned, we've known each other for quite some time. And I, I heard somebody say this one time that, that, uh, that a church will take on the passion and the personality of its pastor within the first couple years of them becoming the pastor. And I just want to tell you, in, in the last couple of days of being around your people, your students, your volunteers, uh, they have been nothing but just absolutely gracious and generous. And uh, not only do they have just the heart of your pastor, but uh, they reflect the heart of Jesus. And uh, you, you're a part of a really special place. I hope you know that. And uh, man, I'm so honored to be a part of it. If you've got a Bible, join with me in John chapter 13. I, I want to share with you a quick uh, a passage and a familiar story, probably to many of you today. And, um, and I want to help us to kind of lean into and to focus in on uh, Jesus's heart. And I believe something that he would also want us to catch as a church. It's something that I believe that Jesus would want us to, to, to not only grab a hold of, but to reflect as the body of Christ to say, listen, as you grow as a believer, as you grow as a body of, uh, of Christ in the church, this is also something that we ought to reflect all the time in, in who we are as Jesus followers. Now, as you're turning your way there, let me just give you a little bit of context to, to the text of where we are. This is, this is coming to kind of the conclusion of Jesus' earthly ministry. It's kind of right in the season of where we are, which is that, that runway to Easter. And in, you find yourself in John chapter 13 in those final days, final moments of Jesus' life. 
In fact, the timeline would unfold like this, that it was on that Sunday that Jesus would enter into the capital, into Jerusalem with all the fanfare, and he would spend the next couple of days teaching and doing some public ministry and interacting and going hard. And then we find ourselves here just a few days later on Thursday of that week in this upper room moment with his disciples. And it's John chapter 13 that, that, that we see in the midst of all of this ministry that's happening and what we know is about to take place in just a day ahead. It's almost as if Jesus kind of pulls away and what we have a little bit of like the calm before the chaos. And it's these final moments without interruption, without distraction, where he can, he can spend time with his disciples and, and, and fellowship and share with them. But it's, it, it, he does more than just kind of hang out as Jesus normally does. He takes advantage of the moment and, and teaches some last lessons. And in fact, it's in this season and in this chapter and in this upper room area, it is absolutely jam-packed with powerful lessons that Jesus has for us in these final moments. Moments. But there's one in particular that I've always kind of found intriguing, not even so much the lesson, but also the timing of it. If you got your Bible, let's just read it and, let, and, and make some observations. It's here in verse 1 of John chapter 13, and here's what it says. It's, it's before the, the feast of the Passover. It says, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. It said, during the supper, during this meal, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, um, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the, the Father had given him all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from the table, rose from supper, he set aside his outer garments, ticking on a, a towel, tied it around his waist, and then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and then wiped them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Verse 6 says that Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus said, hey, what I'm doing right now, you're not going to understand it. But in a little bit afterwards, you're going to understand this. It's an interesting text, and in fact, it's one of those things that probably if you've been around the church scene for a while, it's not an unfamiliar story. And in fact, when we read it, we probably go, okay, I get it. What's not to understand here, right? But he's telling something to Peter and his followers. He's going, hey guys, what I'm doing, and more than that, what I'm demonstrating, you're not going to fully understand this completely, but you will understand, as if to say, there's more to, to, to this story that's going to unfold, now, now, here's the deal. When you see this text, it really kind of begs the question for us today as I read this. So you say, okay, God, this is an interesting illustration. It's familiar in the church world. I mean, we understand the story of washing disciples' feet. We've got like the portraits and paintings somewhere in the back room of a church somewhere. And we get it, right? But have you ever thought to yourself for a second, okay, Jesus, you've got these final moments before we walk out of this room. And you're, you're heading to the garden where you're going to spend some time in prayer. You're crying out to the Lord, knowing what's about to take place for him personally. And then Judas, who already had put in his heart to betray him, acts on it, leads the soldiers in, arrests Jesus. And next thing you know, we've got the countdown to the cross just a day ahead. 
And it's in these final moments we get these last lessons. And, and while this is a powerful imagery and familiar story, have you ever thought to yourself, why this lesson in this moment at this last time together? I mean, if you think about it like this, Jesus could have, could have leveraged this time to, to teach on any number of lessons that would have been more than applicable for the season of life that these guys were in. Now, keep in mind, these were the disciples that Jesus had already kind of said, hey, listen, guys, I'm going to leave you, and then you're going to have to carry this on and, and, and complete the mission of God beyond this area where I've been showing you and serving you. You're going to be called to take the gospel, this message of my life and death and resurrection to the whole world, all right? You're, you're, you're up, Okay. The church, as we know it, is going to be born from the message of the gospel through these men in their leadership. It, we could easily make a case that, man, this would have been an appropriate time of all the last lessons that Jesus could have given to some guys. He could have given a really powerful and poignant message on leadership right here, couldn't he? I mean, he could have just rattled off some powerful truths to a bunch of guys who had very little experience. I mean, a bunch of just fishermen and guys hanging out in the country, good old boys going, hey, y'all, check this out. In a little bit, you're going to be leading just, you know, multitudes of leaders. You got to develop your leadership. You're going have networks of churches and pastors and all kinds of ministry happening. Let's take these last moments because you're going to be in over your head in a minute. Let me give you a lesson on leadership that's going to be priceless. He could have done that, but he doesn't. He, he could have given them a lesson as, as leaders and as communicators who are charged to take this message to, to thousands upon thousands of people. In fact, we know in the book of Acts, man, Peter gets up after receiving the Holy Spirit and he preaches to what? Literally thousands of people. I mean, he could have used this moment, say, hey, here's a final message, Peter, and, and the rest of you guys. Hey, listen, let me give you a lesson on how to just be a more effective communicator. You've seen me do this and take like simple things and illustrate about like mountains and mustard seeds and bread and all kinds of stuff, crops and soil and, and crazy stuff and turn it into just powerful message that had produced life change. Let me teach you how to communicate with real clarity and impact because you're gonna be doing it a lot. He could have taught that lesson, but he doesn't. Oh, in fact, Jesus knows this, that, hey, guys, my own didn't receive me. And in fact, I'm leaving you because I'm about to be arrested and put on trial for crimes I didn't commit and then ultimately sentenced to death. They didn't receive me. And you've got to carry this message of me. They're not going to receive you either. You're going to face some hard times. Why don't we take a moment just to teach a really lesson that you're going to need to how do you hang on during hardships? How do you live out this Christian faith when things get difficult and it seems like everybody's against you? Seems like a good time to do that, right? Doesn't teach that lesson. Instead, he grabs a towel, a bucket of water, and says, let me give you this lesson. Wash some feet. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, you can almost kind of imagine, like, was Jesus sitting there and going, okay, guys, uh, we've covered all these bases already, and is there anything I'm leaving out before I leave y'all? I mean, we've covered this and this and this. Oh, 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 there's one more, there's one more. I need to teach you how to serve. I don't think that's how it went down. In fact, I believe Jesus uses this moment at this time in these final hours to give not just a lesson, but the central lesson. And it's a lesson for all of us today. 
It's a lesson that says, listen, I want you to understand and not miss my heart. Because in fact, what's about to happen, what you don't understand right now about what I'm doing, you will understand. As if to say, this lesson is just an appetizer to the main course that you're going to see displayed in full glory on the cross. Because the lesson is simply this, guys. You need to have the heart of a servant. If I've taught you anything from the way that I've interacted with people, with the way that I've faced you know, opposition, with, with how I've traveled, how I've given my time, the things that I've served, what I've produced, I hope you catch this, that the central message of my life and my heart is to have the heart of a servant, that it's not about me, it's about somebody else. That I'm gonna give my life and lay it down for everyone else. So today I wanna just lean into that a little bit. What would it look like that God would have for us today to reflect this heart? What does the heart of a servant really look like? And can I just maybe, maybe, maybe just temper maybe some expectations? I don't know what you have when you hear messages like this. I know my mind immediately starts thinking to like, where's the hook? Like, what's the push, right? It's easier for me as a guest to come in and say, there's no hook, all right? There's no like, like bank of tables hanging out in the lobby that were, you know, pushing you to, to sign up for, and that we need you to commit to another thing. Listen, it was more than just Jesus saying, you need to be busier. It's more than your activity. It's something else, right? He said, I, I want to appeal to your heart. So what does this look like? A few things from the text I want us to see. Number one is this, that I believe that servanthood, a servant's heart, it begins with attitudes over our actions, it always begins with, with attitude to have this type of heart that Jesus wants to display and then for us to find in him. He says, listen, man, it always starts with attitudes over actions. Can I just tell you something? Attitude is a big deal. <laughs> Our approach is a big deal. Attitude is everything when it comes to having this heart of a servant. Let me give you an example. I, I've been out of town for a couple of days and Right about now, my wife is sitting in a worship service with a few of our kids who are, are in town, including my eight-year-old, which is no small feat to get him out the door and get him dressed on time. And she's been running around and going to ball practice, feeding people and doing all the things. And I'm sure she's doing an unbelievable job. And, you know, it would probably be a good thing for me to come home and to acknowledge that. Like, like maybe this afternoon when I get home, roll in the door with a bouquet of flowers, right? Ladies, help me out. Would that be a good thing? Like if I came in and I just said, hey, hey, Tara, I just want to say, man, you, you've just, you've been, you've been so gracious to allow me to go away. And, you know, while I'm just kind of hanging out with students and having a good time and you've been working and sacrificed so I could do this. I just want to tell you how much I appreciate you, the sacrifice, the effort. I just want to tell you I was thinking about you and I'm grateful for you. And here's a bouquet of flowers. Wouldn't that be so nice? Man. But can you imagine if I rolled in the door this afternoon and I gave her that same bouquet of flowers? I was like, hey, baby, I just want to tell you something. I felt really guilty being gone all the time this weekend. And, you know, I just felt like I better do this for you so you wouldn't be mad at me. Here you go. Ladies, how well would that go over? All right. Hey, same activity, different approach, right? Same activity, different attitude. It'd be like saying, oh, no, that was so nice of you. Well, listen, it cost me nothing. I thought of it last minute on the way in. I saw Walmart was getting rid of some of them. These were janky ones that were about to die. I got them on discount. Here you go, <laughs> right? Not the right approach. 
Not the right attitude. Why? But Jesus is trying to tell us that, listen, man, our attitude matters. Our heart matters. It's always more important than just the activity of being busy. Listen, we know what busy's like. If you've been around the church world at any point, you know what busy's like. In fact, you don't need to be a part of the church world to know what busy's like. We can walk around on a Sunday morning and compare our lists of busyness, can't we? From kids to sports to job to all kinds of stuff, man, we're busy. Jesus isn't appealing to our schedule. He's appealing to our heart. He said, I want you, I want you to see something here. In fact, I want you to notice a couple of things from the text this morning. This was interesting to me, but in these first three verses, there, there's some interesting details of what takes place in this that quite honestly, what Jesus avoids in this moment is something that I step into oftentimes when it comes to having the right kind of heart. In fact, there are excuses that I'll usually use that Jesus says, listen, I'm not going to use them. And here you say, what are those? We'll look in verse one. It says, it says, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world. In other words, Jesus avoids the excuse that sometimes I'll step into of having the right heart and attitude for serving. You say, what is that? Well, he knew he was leaving. Listen, it, it was six months ago that God called us out of a great church and a great ministry that we served in in Tampa, Florida for 20 years. We were on Sabbath Church. And it was, man, it was a fantastic place. We loved it. And God literally just, it was apart from just the voice of God saying, you, this is where I'm calling you. We moved to East Tennessee. And, and man, making that announcement to the church was painful. It was hard. I mean, to leave those folks in, in Tampa. But, but it was such a sweet time, the folks just kind of loving on us and, man, encouraging us in that time. And we did it, you know, a, a couple of months before we moved just to have enough space. to. And while as much as it was a sweet time, can I just tell you it was an awkward time for me as well, especially coming down to that home stretch. Because in those last, like, couple of weeks, I didn't know what to do with myself. Like I would sit in my office and contemplate like, what should I be doing right now? Because I know what, I'm out the door, right? Anybody ever left a job and had to put in a two weeks notice, right? And you got a couple options. You could train up the next guy. You could do all that stuff, clean out your desk. But you know this, I'm collecting a paycheck because in two weeks I'm out the door. It really matters, but it also it kind of doesn't matter. And I could justify any which way I want. I'm riding this sucker out, <laughs> Hey, students in the house, high schoolers, y'all know a little something. We got a whole syndrome labeled for y'all, and it didn't start with y'all. It started with your parents who were sitting behind you. It's called senioritis. <laughs> they know a little something about it. And it starts earlier and earlier and earlier. It doesn't even always start in senior year anymore. It's that mentality that's like, I'm out the door. I'm gonna ride this wave to be gone. All right, that effort I put in my sophomore year, it don't really matter. Just get me across the finish line. I'm, I'm finishing. And see, and here's the point. The point is this, that, man, sometimes we'll use any kind of excuse we can to justify having the right kind of heart. Like, eh, listen, my time is short here. This isn't really going to have that kind of impact. I'm out the door. Jesus doesn't do that. Notice something else that he doesn't do. He doesn't use it as an excuse that oftentimes I will. Not only did Jesus know that he was leaving, he also knew that Judas was betraying. Look in verse 2. It says, it says, during the supper when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas to betray him. Man, you ever had those moments where you felt like, hey, I know I'm supposed to serve and I know I'm supposed to be giving my life away to other people, but that person, they really don't deserve it. You ever had those thoughts? Come on now, shake your head. I don't act like you're super spiritual. Don't choke on that halo this morning, all right? Because you do it in your own home around your kids, 
right? It's that same mentality, man, when you spend a whole day on a Saturday blessing your kids, taking them out shopping, going to have a good time. And then when your little one starts complaining because he wants a Sunday from McDonald's and you say no and they throw a fit like that, you don't do anything for me. And you're like, after all that I did for you today, come on, parents, we've been there. And there's something, a temptation that easily creeps up in us that's going to challenge us to have this kind of heart. And it's always looking at the recipient of service and judging on whether they deserve it or not. Boy, if there was anybody that could have made a case for that in this moment, Jesus already knew. And what does he do? He says, my heart's not gonna change towards this person based on what they deserve because quite honestly, even though I know this guy's gonna betray me, I know the other 11, they're not gonna live perfect lives in honoring me either. In fact, none of us really deserve it. In fact, the beauty of the gospel is that none of us deserve Jesus serving us and giving his life, amen? Man, let us never lose sight of the fact that, man, we could position ourselves in a posture that says, they don't deserve me serving when I've been served by the king of kings with his whole life without deserving it. So he knew that was happening. What's the last thing? I mean, it says, watch this, that not only that, but he knew that God was elevating him. Verse three, it says, Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Man, this is that moment where God is starting to put the glory of his son on display. It was no longer those moments where, like, like if you studied the gospel of John, you see this phrase repeated by Jesus over and over and over again. In fact, from the very first miracle, um, when, when Jesus is at that wedding, and in fact, his mom comes to him to make a plea, Jesus, will you step in and perform a miracle? Will you help this couple out? He tells his own mama, he says, hey, my time has not yet, what, come. And multiple times over, Jesus is understanding, listen, I've got a, I'm on a different time frame. My time has not yet come to reveal all of my glory in this moment. There's an agenda. But here in this moment, what does it say? The time has come. The time has come that the Father is elevating Jesus to the point where, without doubt, without question, he's going to display his power. He's going to display his goodness to say, listen, I am the Son of God, not just to live for you and to die for you, but in a couple more days, I'm going to resurrect and display the glory of God. And God's saying, I'm already starting the process to elevate you. What is that so important to us? Because listen, for me, sometimes one of the biggest things that challenges me having a heart of service is thinking that I'm above somebody else. Like that's beneath me. We got people for that. One of the greatest lessons I learned early on in ministry was like, like my first week on staff at church and the first job in ministry I have, a children's pastor calls me up and says, hey, I need you to come with me across the street. We're going to this building. I need you to help me with something. I said, yes, sir. We go over there and he said, we need to set up this room. I said, what's it for? He said, it doesn't matter. We're setting it up. And we start breaking down, you know, the room, setting up tables and chairs. About 10 minutes into this, he looks at me and he says, he says, Canals, I want you to remember something. I said, yes, sir. He goes, tables and chairs. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, that's what we're doing right now. Like, I didn't get it. He says, no, 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 Kaus, you need to remember something. He said, tables and chairs. I said, yes, sir, I, and? He said, listen, all your days in ministry, you're never gonna graduate from tables and chairs. Always have that heart that says, listen, it's about serving. In other words, don't get too big that you get to that position where you have the idea that's saying, listen, I'm above that. We've got people beneath me that can take care of that. I heard somebody once say this, that if you're, if you're too big to serve, then you're too small to lead. 
And he says, Jesus never got to that position where he says, listen, I don't have to do this. Why? It was about his heart. It was about his attitude in that moment that says, listen, I'm gonna serve people. Bigger than just the activity, it was his heart. You know, even if you kind of look at the activity and the actions, it's kind of interesting, just even the posture. I mean, could you just, can you just imagine for a second Jesus walking around this room and what his physical posture would mirror in the heart posture that he's displaying and trying to teach to us? I mean, I mean, walking around in that act of washing somebody else's feet, the first thing that he would have to do is what? He'd have to get low. He'd have to put himself beneath other people that he had no business and no responsibility to be beneath. But he says, listen, I'm gonna get on a different level. I'm gonna lower myself. And oh, by the way, man, I've got a towel in one hand, a basin of water in another, and I'm not serving you with the minimum requirements. I'm using both hands. See, I think sometimes in the Christian life, for me, I, I have this mentality of doing like, like, like minimal effort and then asking God to give me maximum blessing. And he's saying, no, 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 that's not the heart of a servant. It's saying, man, it's, it's all in. It's both hands. It's going for it. Why? Because, man, our attitudes are more important and they're over just the activity. Listen to me, church, today. God's not trying to impress on your heart that you're not doing enough, that you need to be working harder, that you need to be busy. He's challenging our hearts to say, listen, it's more about our being than just our doing. You see it? Here's the second thing I want you to see. Man, this servant's heart, a servanthood, it focuses on people over programs. It always focuses on people over programs. Now keep in mind, programs are important and we need them in the church, but, but Jesus is saying this in verse two. He says, now the, the supper has been prepared. I love that verse. It says, Jesus, uh, during this time, and he, the, during the supper. Now, I, I just moved into the deeper south. Like South Florida people, we got dinner. You know what I'm saying? Like in East Tennessee, I don't know how it is, rolls around here, but people go to supper up there, right? I'm like, supper, what is that? It, you know, in East Tennessee, man, it's supper. We're going to hang out. We're going to fellowship a little bit. Man, we're going to have supper. We're going to hang out. We're going to have our friends over. Understand that this supper was a little bit different than our context. There was an agenda to this. In fact, there was a, a, a strict and meticulous and detailed and highly symbolic program to this meal that was happening in this room. And these guys knew it. There was an order to things. There, there was a rhythm and a timing of the things that you ate and when you drank them and when you did this. It, it was a time of reflection. It was a time of, of honoring God and his faithfulness in the past. And it says, listen, we're going to have this meal and we're going to do it a certain way. Why? Because God's saying, listen, there's a program to this and it matters how we do this. Program's important. But Jesus deviates from the agenda because he's trying to teach us something about a servant's heart. A few years back when we were living in Florida, still my, I was telling my wife all the time, I was like, baby, my favorite restaurant, I'm gonna take you to it, man, we're gonna go one day. And there's a restaurant like halfway between Tampa and Orlando on I-4 in a little town called Plant City and it was called Fred's Market. And you can imagine just the name of Fred's Market, what type of food they roll with, you know? I mean, it is like, it's country food, you know? It's one of those that like, they don't own a freezer. It's a farm to table. It's coming fresh, it's coming strong and it's in a buffet. Praise the Lord. 
Hey, and I'm telling you, they got all the goodness, like, like, like country fried steak, mashed potatoes and gravy, the stewed tomatoes. I don't even like stewed tomatoes, but they put something in it that makes me want it. I mean, cheese grits, guys, not just grits, grits with the cheese. Hello, blessed be the name of the Lord. And it's like coming. And I said, Tara, man, we're going to go to Fred's. And I've been hyping this for like months. Well, finally, we get a day off. We got nothing to do. I said, baby, get in the car. We're going to Fred's today. We drive the 40 minutes, we get in the door, and in the entrance little lobby there is the owner's wife, the original owner's wife. She's wearing her little Wrangler jeans, sitting in a rocking chair, shucking peas. <laughs> oh, it's going to be good. I said, baby, it's going down. We sit down, that waitress brings menu. I said, no, ma'am, we don't need that. We're going to hit the buffet. We know what this is about. We pray right then before then. I said, baby, we better pray now before we go to this buffet or we're going to miss the moment, <laughs> you know? So we go, we fill our plates, we sit down, we start eating, and I've just got it piled up with everything you can imagine that's on that menu for that day. I mean, the fried okra, the fried you know, uh, uh, chicken, uh, it, it's all happening. I mean, we're in the middle of this meal, and I look up at my wife after a few minutes, and I said, baby, isn't this unbelievable? Isn't this so good? And without hesitation, she looks at me and she goes, uh, it's okay. I'm like, get behind me, Satan. You know, I just said, I'm like, it's okay. What is wrong with you? Like, it was the biggest letdown. I had that moment. I've been selling this thing. And here's what my wife tells me. She goes, she goes I, here's what I know about you. And she goes, no, no, this is good. And I'm so glad we came. And I, she goes, but, but here's what I know about you. For you, food is an experience, right? And she's right. Like, I would rewrite the five love languages book. We need to add a sixth one, food. And I'm like, and she's like, for you, food is an experience. For me, the experience is just being with you. How do you compete with that? Fellas, ultimate mic drop. No coming back from that one. Yes, ma'am, you're right. You're so sweet. I'm a terrible human and husband. What else can I do for you? I mean, it was over at that moment. There ain't no digging out of that one. But here's the point. The point is this, that sometimes, man, in the Christian world, we get so busy clocking in and clocking out and doing all of our things, attending all of our programs. Can I just tell you something today? Look right here at me. Listen. Church isn't the experience. If you came today because you needed to go to church, listen, this isn't the experience. Man, singing a few songs, listening to some guy talk to you for 30 minutes, walking out the door, man, that's good, and we're so blessed that you're here. But this isn't the experience. The experience is meeting with Jesus. And if you walk out of here with anything less than an encounter and time with Jesus today, boy, you miss the experience. And furthermore, what Jesus is trying to teach us and impress on us today with this last lesson is this, that we are to be a people as people of God that have this heart that says, listen, my agenda is not just about the programs and all the things that we do and all the great experiences that we can create in church. It's about people. And the experience is that I connect with Jesus and I connect with people in the name of Jesus. In other words, here, here's what that means for us today. Hey, slow down a little bit in the hallways. Don't run past the day. Don't, don't miss a moment in the car ride home with your kids. Don't miss a moment where you can slow down and Ask somebody in the hallway rather than, hey, how you doing? How's things good? Let's go to, no, 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 no. How are you really doing? Is there anything I can be praying for you about? What if that five-minute conversation 
put an eternal impression on somebody's heart. Because we didn't run past a person because we're so busy with our programs. Man, we know how to do church. We know how to do all the stuff. And Jesus is saying, listen, programs are important. Your student ministry just ran an unbelievable program, and they're so gifted at it. And we need to leverage those, but we use those to do people. Not using people just to build bigger programs. Amen? That's who God's called us to be. It's about people. It's about relationships. And Jesus breaks apart the agenda and says, hold up, time out, we're going to do something different. Listen, these guys knew the agenda. They knew the formality. They knew the expectations. In fact, what's interesting about this program is that these guys... It wasn't their first experience in this scenario. I mean, they knew they were Jewish people. They knew in this room, even before we start the meal, there's supposed to be somebody here that the host is supposed to have taken care of, to hire, to have a servant. Somebody there is supposed to wash our feet. We know that's the first thing on the program. We know it. I mean, we, we know what life is like walking our dry, dusty roads, open toe sandals, the whole business. Before we have a meal, there's supposed to be assigned by the host, a servant to wash our feet. They walk in the room, no servant. So their mind goes next to the agenda. Okay, what's the next move in the program? Well, if there's no servant hired, it's supposed to be somebody in this room, not the host, but somebody in this room and somebody kind of down on the social status that they're supposed to step up and do it. And I can only imagine in that room, those disciples having this sort of mental gymnastics and playing that out. Like, can you just imagine like, like Andrew in the room and going, hey, um, I was the first disciple called. Like, I'm a charter member. I ain't getting up to do it. Or Peter, like, can you imagine Peter sitting back, reclining, looking around going, man, who's going to do this thing? It ain't going to be. I, I walked on water for a minute, you know? <laughs> or, or how about John, right? Like, how about John that's like, 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 the, like the Bible says there's, there's 12 disciples and then there's, there's, there's three in the inner circle that they're, they're closest to him. And then there's one of those three, John, that in fact, in John's gospel, written by John, John refers to himself in his gospel as the one that Jesus loved. You think that guy's getting up? He's like, no, 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 no. We got somebody else. There's a program. There's an agenda behind this thing. And while these guys are likely sitting around trying to figure it out, who on the program is supposed to step up? Jesus slips out, grabs a towel, grabs a basin, and says, let me show you something. It's not just about the program. It's about heart. It's about people. And I'm going to do it. And I'm going to demonstrate something to you even if it defies what the expectations are, even if it breaks loose of our routines, even if it, if it causes people to kind of get a little bit uncomfortable and go, wait, 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 are you supposed to do that? No, 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 I am because Jesus called me to have a heart of a servant. My oldest son is a sophomore in college. I remember when he was in third grade, we were, we were living in South Florida at the time. He was attending a public school. And I remember getting, we got a call one afternoon shortly before he got home from the bus from his teacher. And his teacher said this. She said, um, we need to have a conversation with you about your son because um, his behavior in class, if something's not done to address it or change it, we're having a meeting with the principal. And I'm thinking, what in the world is this third grader doing, you know? So I said, well, ma'am, that's okay. We'll, we'll address that. Can you tell me what's going on and what he's doing? And she says, yeah. She said, your son started a church at school. <laughs> I, I, lit, I had to fight back chuckling a little bit 
because I wanted to laugh, but then I thought like, I don't know what that means and what this third grader's doing. Like, I don't know if he's roaming around like with his Bible, smacking kids on the back of the head, turn or burn, you know? Like, I don't know if he's scaring them into, you're gonna fry like a piece of sausage, you need Jesus. Like, I don't know. So I'm like, yes, ma'am, we're good. We'll have a conversation. And so, so he comes in the door that afternoon off the bus. I said, so I need to ask you a question. He said, yes, sir. I said, this kind of sounds a little bit weird, but I just need you to straight up with me. Tell me what's going on. He said, yes, sir. I said, did you start a church at school? Did you take up an offering? <laughs> no. And he laughed at me the way that I wanted to laugh at that teacher. He just started chuckling. He's like, no, dad, what are you talking about? I said, well, your, your teacher's pretty hot and says you're doing something that's like you shouldn't be doing. And he said, dad, I just, I go to my Sunday school class and our teacher gives us a little paper with the lesson so we can learn. And I just hang on to that lesson and I throw my book bag and, and during recess after we play and run around, I go under the tree and invite any of my classmates so they won't come. And I just teach them the lesson that I was taught on Sunday morning. I was like, bring on that principle. What's that? <laughs> I said, son, that, man, that's awesome. You keep rolling. And I, and I had this kind of proud dad moment, right? Until the next phrase came out of his mouth. And he said this. He said, dad, um, there are 23 kids in my class. I've told 21 of them about Jesus. I've got two more to go. And I went from proud dad to convicted Christian like that. I remember thinking in that moment, like, like I'm a pastor, like I'm a professional Christian. <laughs> and I wonder if I worry sometimes more about the program, the agenda, the expectations of what everybody else thinks, the rhythms and the culture and all those types of things to serve and to share the gospel than my third grade son. Why? Because he says at the end of the day, it ain't about all that kind of stuff. It's about people that ought to be our driving. It ought to be about people. The God says it's about you. It's about serving people and slowing down and sharing the gospel and loving them. But it's having a heart that says, God, I see people, not just tasks. Here's the last one we're going. What's a servant's heart look like? Man, it's, it's elevating the mission of God above myself. A servant says, listen, I'm going to elevate the mission of God over myself. It's interesting in verse 12, he, he goes on and says, when Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and res, resumed his place, he said to them, he says, listen, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, you're right, for so am I. If then I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should also do as, just as I've done for you. Truly, truly, a servant is not greater than his master. He says, listen, you need to go and do what I've done for you. Was Jesus telling those guys in that moment, hey, you need to start wandering the, she, the, the streets and always just got a little towel on your hip and a bucket of water ready just to go? No. What was he saying? Take on the heart of your master. What was that? I'm really not trying to make a name for myself. I, I'm really trying to point people to the Father. I don't know about you, but man, when I serve people sometimes and when I try to take on this heart of a servant, I don't know about y'all, but I, I like affirmation, right? 
Like I like rolling in the house and tell my wife, I'm like, hey baby, check it out. I loaded the dishwasher for you and I expect her to like throw a parade, right? And she's thinking, yeah, I do that like three times a day, big boy, good effort, you know? And I'm like, but it feels good. I, I, I wanna feel good in that moment that I've done something. I want somebody to notice it. I want somebody to acknowledge it. I mean, you don't have to make me the biggest thing, but make me something, like notice me, do something, applaud me, praise me, affirm me. That's gonna make me feel good in that moment. And Jesus is saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. man, you gotta temper that. You gotta fight that temptation. You gotta evaluate in your own heart. No, really, what, what is it that I'm really after? So I feel better about me? So, so that I think God will feel better about me? Listen to me and don't miss this. Man, a servant's heart, we don't serve to earn the favor of God, we serve to display it. God, it's based off of who you are and what you've done for me. I don't know if you've ever attended a wedding, but I've had the, the privilege of doing a few weddings and it's always interesting to me that, that before a wedding, those last moments, I'll go back and kind of pray with the groom and groomsmen and the bride and the bridesmaids. And those two different rooms could not be any more opposite in those moments. Like you go back there with the grooms and the groomsmen and it's like, you know, somebody's brought in like a gaming system. They're hanging out eating Cuban sandwiches. They're half dressed and like, we're supposed to walk out in three minutes, right? They're good. You go around to the lady's side and it's like a, like a swarm of bees floating around this bride trying to get all the business together to make sure it's exactly right. I mean, there's more stuff happening and they're just on top of it and they're going. And more than just the bridesmaid, the one who's got the toughest task is that, is that maid of honor because she's deemed as that one, like you're head of the hive. Like you're the one that's supposed to make sure all this stuff's taken care of so my day can be good. And that bridesmaid, that maid of honor, man, she's, she's taking care of all the little details. And, and I have this vantage point at a wedding, which is always interesting to me me standing at front of the aisle, kind of like this, where, where the crowd is watching this way, but I get to see what the crowd doesn't see. And it's back at the back behind the doors. And I watch before the procession on, I get to see those last moments of the, of the maid of honor, just doing all the final touches on the bride. Like she's back there in the back and she's making sure, man, if any hair is out of place, she's taking care of it. I mean, she, she's back there behind her and she's grabbing like that train of her, her, of her gown and she's, you know, flipping it and flowing it out and doing whatever she's got to do, make sure it's smooth and there's no wrinkles and it's laid out right nice so that when she walks in, it's just flowing and all looking sweet. She's making sure that the bouquets are in her hand and all that stuff's happening. And then all of that stuff goes down almost literally to the wire before they walk in. And I have this thought, it's like, she's doing all of that. So when those doors fling open and that bride enters into the room, that groom can step out into the middle of the aisle and all the preparations are done so that when he gets a first look at that woman, oh, he catches her and all of her beauty and all of her glory and it's met with delight. What Jesus is trying to impress on our hearts today is the heart of a servant. It's not about being busier. 
in some ways it's, it's slowing down and it's seeing people and it's having the heart that says, I wanna serve you. It's maybe speaking a word of encouragement. It may be going out of my way, not so that it's about me, so that, man, I'm doing all that I can do for other people that prepares their heart so when they see and hear about the name and the person of Jesus, they meet him and they see him in all of his glory and they go, wow, it's with delight because that's what I've been seeing through his people this whole time. Do you see it? That's who he's called us to be. He's called us to be that because that's who he's been for us. Would you stand with me just so you know we're done? See, this idea is that, man, save people, they serve people. Do you remember Philippians chapter two when we get this model and this charge for us that says that we gotta have this same mindset and this same heart that was in Jesus. What was that heart and that mindset? That, that Jesus, though he had equality with God, he, he, didn't, he didn't consider it something to be grasped or held onto. In other words, that position up here, I'm not gonna hang on to it. In fact, I'm gonna let go of it, even though I have the right to hang out here and I'm gonna take on a different role, a different nature. What does the Bible say in Philippians 2? He took on what? The nature of a servant. Interesting that just in his coming displayed the nature of a servant, but aren't you glad Jesus didn't stop there? Because he goes on to say this, that he became obedient beyond coming and taking on the nature of a servant, but he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. In other words, he's saying, listen, I, I'm gonna come and take on a nature and display the heart of a servant, but I am going to empty myself of my rights and all the things that man, I know are due to me and become obedient to something else, death for you. In other words, he didn't have to do it. In other words, everything in his position, everything in his power, put him in a different stratosphere that says, hey, that's not at all what I have to do, but it's what I choose to do. So that you can not only see the heart of a, of a servant, you can experience what it means to have the king of all kings serve you with his whole life. You say, why is that so important? Look right here at me, listen to this. Because if you have never allowed Jesus to impact your life in a personal relationship. In other words, you've never received the message of the gospel and said, Jesus, in the way you've proclaimed to serve me by laying down your life, I wanna experience that. I wanna become a child of yours. If you've never done that, can I just tell you what the last 30 minutes was for you? Just a motivational talk that appeals to your will to try to do better for other people. And that's not what God's interested in. He's not pressing in on you just to make the world a better place for people to die and go to hell from. In fact, he's saying, listen, I want you to start with relationship with me. I want you to start at that place where you understand that I've served you and I've called you to change you and it's out of that place that we begin to serve like him. So can we do something together with your heads bowed if you've never trusted Jesus? Listen, why would you waste another moment? Why would you waste another day? Could you write where you're at? Why don't you just tell him and just say something like this, Jesus, I'm trusting you with my life. 
for all of eternity, I'm placing my belief and trust in you, in your work as a servant, though you didn't have to, for my sake, to know you, to come into relationship with you. So God, I receive you today. I wanna become a child of yours today so that, oh, I can live like you, live with you for eternity and try to demonstrate and display that same heart onto other people. Lord, we love you and we bless you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, listen, as we sing and before we're dismissed, if, man, if, if God's done a work on your heart tonight or this morning and, and, and you prayed that, you asked Jesus in your life, or maybe you've just been wrestling with some spiritual questions and, or God's been pressing in on you to say, listen, man, I need to take my next step with Jesus. Would you do us a favor this morning? And don't walk out of here without talking to somebody. In fact, while we sing, man, why don't you slip out of your chair, grab a spouse, a friend, somebody with you. And, and on your way out over here to this little banner, we've got some staff that are next steps. Man, just take a, take a step to say, hey, listen, man, I wanna take a step with Jesus today, amen? And you move as we sing. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Were you inspired? Maybe you've got questions. Do you want to know more about Jesus? Then we'd love to hear from and connect with you. So take the next step with us by visiting burnthickory.com next. Again, thanks for listening. And hey, stay tuned by subscribing and stay up to date by downloading the Burnt Hickory app.